fact that the needle noob did not get nominated for director and every other craft got nominated is a scandal hey everybody welcome to the gaudi podcast i'm your host josh pozitopamako today i will be speaking with amy smith the co-editor-in-chief of the gaudi who's going to tell us a little bit about the oscar ceremonies and some of the storylines and the nominations and things that are going along with that and also be speaking with georgina russell who works with Anti-Slavery International about the Uyghur forced labor crisis and why students should care. So really great podcast planned for you guys. Have a listen, and I'll see you on the other side. Right. Hey, everyone. I am here with Abby, um, who is just going to share a little bit about um, her thoughts on the upcoming Oscars and some of the pictures that have uh, have been nominated, along with actors and actresses and stuff like that. And Amy's well experienced in this. She does a lot of work um, reviewing films, and um, we're really excited that she's decided to come on and chat with us. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. Awesome. Right. So let's start with with Best Picture, because that's probably what folk are most familiar with when they think of the Oscars. Um, you did a piece in the Gaudi uh, last week about some of uh, you basically ranked the the, the top um, pictures uh, and, and the ones that had nominate, been nominated. Maybe you could just share that with us and kind of tell us a little bit about why you picked uh, and ranked the ones you did in the way you did. Yeah, certainly. So I've been lucky enough to have seen all 10 films which are now nominated for Best Picture. Um, what might be surprising is that Dune is my favourite. I'm not usually a sci-fi epic sort of person, and yet I I was just blown away by the technical craft. The fact that Denis Villeneuve did not get nominated for director and every other craft got nominated is a scandal. But, um, one I would really recommend people checking out, which they probably have not seen, is Drive My Car, my second favourite film of the year. Um... It is a Japanese three-hour meditative, very slow sort of film about grief and about loved ones. And it's so beautiful. And it did show at Belmont Filmhouse. Um, You can watch it now on the BFI player, I believe. You can rent it. And it's very worth checking out. Um, Considering the films we could have gotten in here this year, like House of Gucci or Being the Ricardos, this is a really good list this year, and the only one I end up not liking was Don't Look Up, um, which a lot of people might like, a lot of people might think, oh, it's easily accessible, it's talking about climate change and all that. I just didn't like the humour at all. I think it fell flat. I think it was trying to hammer a point which was so obvious in the first place, and advocate's not for me, unfortunately. Yeah, I will say, I think the um, the list of pictures really is quite diverse, like you were saying, and we have some foreign language films we have um we have some sci-fi we have um more traditional picture i mean it's a very wide um uh base and i think i i i i'm a little less versed in in uh, in contemporary film as amy so i only watched a few but one of the ones that stuck out for me i really enjoyed um belfast which was in the theater i think i think it still is but it was in for the last couple of weeks uh really just uh poignant and touching film uh, and that's by kenneth brana who, who directed that as well so let's talk about i guess some of the um the directors uh, who are up for best director. Um, I think Spielberg's in there, some other folk. It, it's it's an interesting mix. Um, also, I think we should mention uh, Power of the Dog, which is the Netflix film uh, produced by Netflix, also uh, has uh, a lot of nominations, including for best director. So what are some of the directors and who do you think should deserve the the, nomi- uh, the, 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 uh, the best director prize? Yeah, so it's pretty obvious that Jane Campion is going to win for Power of the Dog, Power of the Dog got every nomination it could it actually beat out dune which is a technical craft which is 
quite astonishing when you think about it. Um, it's most likely going to win picture, adapted screenplay. It's going to have a great night, but director might be the biggest lock for it. Um, once again, Drive My Car makes this list. There's been an international director for four years now in a row, so this trend is continuing and very worthy. Um, and yeah, it's just Spiel it's Spielberg and Paul Thomas Anderson, and you've got the legends in there that you just can't deny at this point. Uh, and I'm just wondering, I think last year it was uh, Chloe Zhao with... Um... Nomad was Nomadland. Nomad. Aye. So this would, if Campion wins, that'd be two years in a row with a female director winning Best Picture, and that's obviously something that was probably on third, uh, on thought of, uh, not very, you know, until very recently. Um, and I think that's just a really awesome step forward. I think. Yeah, definitely. This is Campion's second nomination, and she she is now the only girl to have even been nominated twice, okay. and she didn't win last year. She actually lost against Spielberg last year, so this might mm -hmm. be a new sort of rivalry in which she wins this one. Awesome. Right. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about Best Director. We've talked about Best Picture. Let's talk about uh, some of the nominees for Best Actor and Best Actress in a Leading Role. Um, who are some of those folk and who do you think has really just kind of set themselves apart from the field? Yeah. So Best Actor is a lot more predictable. We've all been going, Will Smith is going to win this for King Richard and there's no reason why he won't now. That film also maxed out in nominations that it could. The closest competitor of Benedict Cumberbatch for A Power of a Dog. The only hurdle he has is that that character is so unlikable that people might just not vote for it. <laughs> um, the only surprise and best actor was Javier Bardem for being a Ricardo's, but it was clear the actor's branch really liked that film as opposed to any other branch. Um, best actress role is a complete mess. Um, None of the BAFTA nominees are in are in the Oscars lineup, so this okay. is going to be very fun. Yeah. yeah, very odd. It's going to be very fun to predict. Um, possibly the best surprise of the entire day. It shouldn't be a surprise. Christian Stewart made it in for Spencer. That film only got that one nomination. Mm -hmm. It's the best performance of the entire year, in my opinion. And I think that film should have done a lot better. But I am cheering on for her. I'm also cheering on for Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers. Another fantastic performance. Overall, I have no idea who's going to win this category. But I love everyone that is in it. Brilliant. Okay, so um, let's. I, we've talked about kind of the main ones. I'm sure there are some other um, more interesting uh, categories as well. So what are some other maybe dark horse candidates or, or things that maybe might come as a big surprise uh, in, in March when the Oscars happen? Um, it's not particularly to win, but a nice surprise came in the screenplay categories because for the first time in like well over a decade, there is a foreign film in both original and adapted screenplay. A lot of us saw Drive My Car coming for adapted screenplay, but it was the worst person in the world nomination in original screenplay that ended up surprising. Uh, actually beating out Aaron Sorkin for being a Ricardo's, mm -hmm. which was a very nice surprise. Um, we've also got the documentary branch, which usually does not like to go for front runners, but they ended up nominating Summer of Soul, which is a wonderful documentary on Disney Plus if you have not seen that already, and most likely will now win since it actually made the nomination list. But it's just refreshing to see these different tales, these different representations of colour and nations all being represented this year. And I think that's a symbol of 
the sort of branch like opening up and allowing more international members i think you can really see a shift in that this year yeah most definitely well thank you for chatting with us about the nominations um i think it is quite an interesting uh year so guys definitely go out and um take a look at the films and uh study up and uh, yeah oscars are the 27th of march yeah yes they are awesome and i'm sure uh amy you'll keep keep on top of that where's some places that folks could find your work uh yeah you can find me on twitter at films of amy i'm also the intern chief of the Gaudi, so if you ever want to communicate to me in any way you can email me editor at the awesome thank you so much Right. Hey, everyone. I'm here with uh, Georgina from Anti-Slavery International. Uh, I really just wanted to bring her on the podcast uh, to kind of talk about the issues going on uh, with the Uyghurs uh, and the forced labor crisis that's going on there. And just maybe suggest some ways and chat about how us students here in the UK can get involved and help uh, push for change on this issue. Uh, So thank you so much for coming on. That's all right. Thanks for having me. I have to ask before we start. Have you ever been up to Aberdeen before or is this because you guys are based out of London? Yeah. Yeah. So we're based in London. I'm actually living in Norfolk. OK. OK. Um, I haven't been up to Aberdeen, but I've got family in um, the borders. OK. So All right. Close that. enough. Close enough. Yeah. Very good. Well, again, thank you for coming on. Um, so I guess the, where we want to start is what exactly is going on for those who aren't aware or um, haven't really been following. What is the problem? What is really going on uh, with the Uyghurs and, and the Chinese government? So to start with, it's actually not just the Uyghurs. It is Uyghur and other Turkic and Muslim majority peoples, including Kazakhs, We and Kyrgyz. But that tends to be shortened to Uyghurs. Um, they are currently victims of a wide system of abuse, which does include forced labour. It also includes torture, forced sterilisation and mass internment. So it's a really complicated system of persecution against these peoples yeah most definitely uh, and from my own just kind of studying the issue um, a lot of it has been happening uh, for some time but more so in the last five or so years um, as the kind of a crackdown on the Uyghur culture uh, and their lifestyles has been kind of going on uh, by the Chinese government definitely so it started like in the current state in 2017 um, and the forced labor aspect of it really came to light in 2019 Awesome. Uh, so I guess what we have to ask is, um, what is the primary sources of evidence uh, that we are able to draw upon when we make the claims and we investigate these these problems? The main one is victim testimony. Like there's extensive victim testimony that this is happening. Yeah. Um, people talking about their experience, the experience of their families. So we know that. We also have satellite data so we can see it happening. And the third one, and perhaps most interesting, is the Chinese government share it in documents and data. The forced labor aspect is not hidden. Right. Okay. It's it's there there to see within the data. Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when when the when when the people who are perpetrating uh, the the problem are admitting they are doing it, uh, yeah, that is pretty clear. Um, so another question, I guess, is um, I I did a little when I was researching this, I, I saw a statistic that said potentially as much as twenty percent of the worldwide um, cotton that is used in garments and other things is potentially, um, has potentially been used uh, or created and produced by um, people who are living and who are being forced to work in, in, in China. Um, so I guess the question is, what are the, some of the major sources of this and why are so many 
why is so much cotton implicated in potentially being, you know, made by forced labor? Absolutely. So to unpack that statistic, um, the Uyghur region, where the majority of this forced labor is occurring, is one of the largest cotton producing regions within China. And China is one of the largest cotton producing nations in the world. So that is where that statistic stems from. So we say one in five garments is tainted with Uyghur forced labour. When you sort of unpack it, it's not just in cotton and in garments. It's also within solar energy. Um, uh, Item used to make solar panels is polysilicon. And about 40% of solar panels in the UK can be tainted with Uyghur forced labour. But it's also in items such as tomato paste or tomato puree, within automobiles, within uh, electronics. So it's a really vast array of products where the Uyghur forced labour is um, tainted. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Okay, so um, uh, there was a report that was done, I believe, in the beginning of 2020 um, by a, um, a, a kind of a, a group in Australia, I believe, who determined that there were over a hundred major companies that were potentially um, involved in this. They were getting uh, cotton um, from supply chains or directly or, or indirectly um, from um, the, the region in China where Uyghurs are being forced to, to work. Um, what are some of those companies and have they made any changes? Even if they have, does that really make a difference uh, on the ground, I guess? So actually we have to assume all companies are at risk being having weak forced labor within their supply chains unless they can prove otherwise. Because it is such a wide scale problem and because of the lack of transparency around company supply chains, that's the presumption that we have to have. And that is why at Anti-Slavery International, we believe that the only way we can start to remedy this is through law and through laws that businesses are calling for, um, organizations are calling for, that build on the Modern Slavery Act that we currently have in the UK and ask companies or hold companies to account for the supply chain, the human rights abuses within their supply chains. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and I think it's especially important um, as uh, as myself being a student, along with those who are listening to the podcast, because, you know, we are some of the biggest consumers, um, you know, that are that you know in the world i mean obviously uh, many students we do try to uh, maybe make ethical choices use less um products that are damaging to the environment but i think this issue of forced labor kind of goes under the radar unfortunately for a lot of people um so what are some ways i guess that students can make better choices when they shop for clothes and and not potentially be uh, implicated in this so i think that's really challenging for someone to individually do so what we're calling for is this new law and one really easy way students can get involved and everyone can get involved is we've got a petition on our website which we are calling for this new law so if you go to antislavery.org forward slash take dash action then you'll be able to read up about the campaign and get involved sign our petition the other way that everyone can get involved is demand transparency from the companies that you purchase from email them ask them to prove to you that their supply chain does not include Uyghur forced labor yeah 
most definitely. Well, I think that's all the questions I had for you. Thank you for coming on and doing this really quickly. It was great to speak with you. Uh, and it was really important sharing this information uh, with students uh, so they can make informed choices and work uh, to, to bring this stuff into law. Thank you Brilliant. so much. Thank you so much. The Gaudi Podcast is a production of Gaudi Media. It is written, edited, and hosted by Josh Pazuto-Polanco. Special thanks to our guests on today's program, Amy Smith and Georgina Russell. Thanks for listening, and have a lovely day.